Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I this morning created a brand new uh, work music playlist for you guys on Spotify. So as you know, we've got our Sunday study playlist on Spotify, which is all instrumental, all great for studying. There's also the YouTube study playlist. Uh, But I also get a lot of value from chill music that has vocals. It's not very good for studying or for reading, but when I need to crush emails or when I need to design something or do some kind of work that doesn't involve intense learning style concentration, concentration. Uh, That kind of music works really well for me. So I have put together a playlist for you guys called Work Vibes. I believe if you search Work Vibes on Spotify, you're going to be able to find it. So that might be convenient for those of you that are listening on Spotify. But I'm also going to have a link in the show notes for this episode. And you can also go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash playlist to get that link as well as links to all of my other playlists that I've made for you guys. So check it out and let's get into the show. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast. What's up, dude? Yo. Did you notice this dope book that I put on top this week? That is a pretty dope book. I was it noting that pretty dope I like book. that book. Yeah. It's like one of your favorite children's-ish books. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, pretty cool. You know, it's like I want to read the rest of them. Oh, yeah. There's more of them, aren't there? Yeah, there's a bunch, and they all have long titles. Uh, for people who can't see it, because most people listen to this, I'm talking about the girl who circumnavigated fairyland in a ship of her own making by... Catherine M. Valente. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. I think, so this is like a YA book, but when I read this book, there were a lot of words in here that I didn't know. So it's a vocabulary booster. No, it's really cool. Um, I read it because Patrick Rothfuss, who is the author of the Kingkiller Chronicle series, which is probably my one of my favorite fictional series ever, uh, gave it five stars in Goodreads. And I was like, that sounds like a kid's book, but he gave it five stars. I'm going to go read it. Yeah. And it's a good book. It's very good. So, yeah, book recommendation of the week, I guess. It's definitely fiction. I'm going to crack open this Lacroix. Mm, There it is. Satisfying noise. So, we're talking about skill acquisition today. Yep, how to get good. Rapid skill acquisition. Real fast. And because it's rapid, we need to rapidly get into the topic of the episode I know last week we had a lot of riffage. I'll put on these books right here. Oh, I see that you have the same book there that I have put on the table right there. Yeah, but I have it (laughs) in checked out laminated version. That is nicely library checked out laminated version with a lot of scuffs on it. These have seen better days. Well, they're from a library. That's true. What this actually means is that they have seen good days because when your books are brand new and unread, then they have seen bad days. Actually, yeah, it's pretty apparent that somebody has read and benefited benefited from from these books. At least to this page on Chardonnay. I can tell that like this page was used a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, this. See, I, I actually I like it when these kind of books are are checked out all the at the library, even when I'm looking for them and I'm I'm a little mad because it means somebody out there's trying to do something cool. Somebody out there's hopefully doing something with them and not just letting them. Well, sit they're on the they're at least table. mildly trying. Yes, they had the intention for three seconds. I do remember when I was a kid, I would go to the library and I would just get really excited and I check out ten books. And then two weeks would go by, and I'd only read one. Oh, did you not read a whole bunch as a kid? I did. I just would get really excited and check out way more than I could read. Mm. So I, read I, like, I also spend a lot of time outside. I read like hundreds of books. Yeah, you probably read more than me. I read 101 Summer, I think, and got like a 101 little, got, Summer? Something like that. That's like a book a day. Possibly a grade. I'm not entirely sure anymore. I've got a little trophy okay. for it that would give me the information. Really? Yeah. You should bring there the trophy cool, in. There was and a show cool it. reading program. 
picks or didn't happen. Uh oh. You need to show the trophy on the Uh-oh. podcast. Everybody Otherwise, will know that I was lying about this to look cool. Maybe. Yeah. You didn't get a hundred hopefully, trophy. Hopefully, in the I looked grade. cool. You didn't get that. I don't believe you. Oh no. <laughs> so this is your episode, but just to introduce it, we we do want to talk about the process of acquiring new skills as quickly as possible, because everyone's heard of the ten thousand hour rule from yep. uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I think that's from Outliers potentially. And he basically just says like it takes an average or you know an estimated ten thousand hours to become a master of anything, but that's a lot of hours. It is quite a lot of hours. It's like a lot of hours. I don't have that many so, right now. Yeah, a little busy. Uh, I do also want to point out that ten thousand hours is clearly just like a made up number because the it's definition not, yeah, of mastery literal. is fluid and it's very different in different fields. And clearly, there are some people who are more naturally inclined to pick up skills than others. Yeah. Like, I think you're probably going to pick up language better than me. I do you have know. a bit of a base for that. I have, like, I think a natural inclination inclination to rhythm. So I might pick up music faster than other people who don't. So I don't think it's going to take literally 10,000 hours and you need to time track it on toggle.com before you yeah. know you're a master. Okay, yeah, and when, 10, as soon as you hit 10,000, you put master on your resume. Yeah. What we want to talk about today is taking literally any skill and getting to a level of proficiency in a very short amount of time. Um, as Josh Kaufman might say, in 20 hours of practice. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the most important parts about the beginning is it's like 10,000 hours is for mastery. Yep. And the thing is, sometimes you don't really need to be a master at what you're doing to get the purpose you want out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one thing I've been realizing more and more as I get more serious about music. So I've been learning about music theory over the past couple of weeks, and I've been getting much better at guitar. And I've actually learned that Learning a bit about music theory actually is very helpful. Before, I was always just like, I'm going to be like Stevie Ray Vaughan. I don't ever need to learn how to read music or understand music at all. I'm just going to play. But learning about music theory taught me about intervals and it taught me about chord progressions. And that has enabled me to take my guitar playing to a completely new level that I I never even tried before. Yeah. Like I was really good at just noodling out scales all day long. But now that I understand intervals and how chords are constructed and how like seventh chords and inverted chords and things like that actually can put together a progression that sounds really good and there's i have like the added ability to to inject more harmony into my guitar playing where there's more than one note going at a time i think like most of my development as a guitarist has happened in the melody department until now oh yeah so that's pretty cool but as i've been learning about music theory i've been listening to my the music I listen to just for fun with a more critical ear. You're noticing like, oh, that's a pattern or something. Um, yeah, I'm noticing, oh, this this song sounds really cool and really complex if you just listen to it at a surface level. But if you dig into it and you just listen to this one guitar, that's actually just like the same four chords repeated for four minutes with maybe just some like cool stuttering or glitch effects done in post. Yeah, And then it's just nicely layered with another guitar playing a melody that's actually pretty simple. And if you understood the key, you could probably play it in about 10 minutes of practice. And really the only reason this song sounds so hard and difficult to perform is that it's many different voices and many different instruments playing at once. Yeah. You know, the end product sounds very um, complex, but when you deconstruct it, you realize that's actually not yeah, like that I, complicated. I could write that if I wrote parts for several instruments. Like, mm-hmm. Especially if you go back and you listen to like 
famous punk songs from the 70s and 80s. Those are not that Like difficult. the Ramones and the Kinks. It's just like, <laughs> this is the same chord over and over and over again. And then they go it's up and octave. It's about the attitude, man. <laughs> it is about the attitude. Yeah, that's what punk's it about. Like, it like really is. We're not going to learn about but... music theory and key signatures. Nah. Hey, Barry, put your finger on whatever fret you want. I'm not going to tell you what to do because I'm not the man. And that's just play. Fair. And I'll sing over it. That's fair. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. you know, kind of bark over it with a raspy voice. That sounds cool. Because singing is what the man would do. Anyway, so what do you got on this episode? Okay, so I looked through the uh, intro sections of both of these to mm-hmm. get kind of their formula for how to rapidly acquire skills. And got, by both of these, I don't know if we mentioned oh, yeah, yeah. the so books. So the first is The First 20 Hours by Josh Kaufman. Mm-hmm. And the second is The Four Hour Chef, which is mildly misleading by Tim Ferriss. It's not only about cooking. It's a, It has some stuff about cooking. In fact, there's a recipe for squirrel in there for whatever reason. It's because he has a whole wild section about going out and killing your own food. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find that completely unnecessary to the skill acquisition. If you read, like, the first chapter, there's the skill acquisition stuff. The rest is examples yeah. and cooking stuff. The 4-Hour Chef is essentially a book that uses cooking as a lens and a very extended ex- example for the process of rapid skill acquisition. Yeah. And it has, like, three main chunks. There's, like, the, the essentials where you're just learning how to braise meat and, you know, use proper guide hand technique. And then there's, like, a wild section where he goes out and kills a deer. And there's a science section where he gets really into it and, you know, goes and does all the Fenanandria stuff. Yeah. Bubbles and foams and weird things. But yeah, I don't even know. If you things. were just interested in rapid skill acquisition, you could check the book out of the library and you could read the first, what, 30 yeah. pages? Yeah, it wasn't that long. It's pretty much what I did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they're both about learning skills quickly. And they're, they're also, I believe they both mentioned, but especially the first 20 hours mentions that you don't have to be a master at everything. Like, it's pretty cool if you're a master at, you know, one or a few things. And yep. then learn a sufficient level to have fun and a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've been opening myself up to that a lot more lately and being willing to try out skills that I have no intention of being great at, like woodworking. Yeah, you have. Like, I want to be good enough to do something and to say, I think I could solve that. Mm-hmm. But not to, like, build a house, you know, or one of them fancy temples that they hand carve all this stuff out of. I can't do that. That's not yeah. happening. I will never do it. So looking through these, we've got a couple steps. They've got – there's – um. Um, hold on. My handwriting is terrible. I'm okay. going to move your mic a little bit over here Okay. okay. if you're going to be looking down. So we've got the deconstruct skill into smallest possible subskills. This is the first step of the first 20 hours. Okay. Then learn enough about each subskill to practice it intelligently and self-correct. Enough so that you know two. when you're messing it, messing it up. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's step two. Step three is to remove barriers to practicing. So the 22nd rule... If you're really scared of being embarrassed, stuff like that. Get rid of those. Okay. And then practice the most important subskills for at least 20 hours. And he says that he learned or at least did enough in developing a yoga practice, writing a web-based computer program, relearning to touch type, exploring the, the board game Go, playing a musical instrument, and windsurfing all in nothing was ever more than 90 minutes a day. Nice. So 20 hours of stuff. You don't have to do it all at once. And that's it's going to be okay. I so, wonder where he went to windsurf. Yeah, because he know. lives in Fort Collins. Oh, really? Yeah, that's pretty like, close. We could drive up and hang out with him. Oh, okay, but there's definitely not a whole lot of water near Fort Collins or anywhere in Colorado, as we are well aware. 
Yeah. I don't know, maybe he found a small reservoir to do it on. Okay, so, and the four-hour chef's basic thing is very similar. It's deconstruction, selecting which 20% are the most important, the Pareto principle, which mm-hmm. 20 will give you 80% of the outcome you want. Sequencing, in what order do you learn the subskills? That's an important part. Okay. And then just how do you set up stakes to make sure you do it? Like So first 20 hours doesn't really mention sequencing. No. It's not, it not does, quite well, as emphatically. See, because it's got a second section, which is more of a checklist that's 10 things. There were lots of checklists here. Yeah. But so in the first 20 hours, their most important parts were to first choose a lovable project. If you care, you'll go much faster, obviously. Yeah. So... I've been working on my photography, trying woodworking, but it's always driven by an outcome that I want. It's not just like, I think it'd look cool if I was really like smart at math. Yeah. So I'm going to torture myself with that for a while. If I had a real motivation, that'd be good. So have like some specific thing in mind. Um, For example, I would like to learn how to play the piano someday and now someday soon. And on my impossible list for several years, it has said, Learn to play the piano so you can play this song called Love Colored Master Spark, which is, it's a song from one of the Toho games, but I have it on my study playlist, and it's just this very complex piano piece that's very fast, yeah. and we can have it in the show notes, actually. I would love to be able to play that someday, and I actually have downloaded a Synthesia file where you can input the MIDI and have it come down as notes, Oh yeah, almost like Guitar Hero, so I could literally learn how to play that. So that's like a very specific outcome that I would like to see, Yeah, not and just play piano. It's very important that you specify an outcome. Mm-hmm. That's I believe that's in here somewhere is to specify what the outcome you want is because otherwise you're just like get better at piano. That, that means nothing. When did you do it? No yeah. one knows. You're just forever going <laughs> to feel like you haven't succeeded enough. Now, I do want to mention here that you don't have to have a specific outcome in mind for literally everything you do. This is specifically if you have the intention to get very good very quickly then yeah. a specific outcome is very helpful. But if you just think, oh, piano sounds fun, and I just want to play it, like, obviously you don't have to be super... Oh, no, you're allowed to just everything. mess around. It's yeah. just, if, if you want to gonna... rapidly learn something, yep. it is much better to know how good are you trying to get yeah. so that you can balance it exactly. It's like the difference between deliberate practice, which I think we'll probably talk about here, versus just casual, you know, playing around. Yeah. There are There is a very big difference in the amount of progress you make with deliberate practice versus playing around. But if you don't care about the pace of your progress, then play around to your heart's content. You know, When I go out to play catch with a football, I'm not like, all right, I'm going to focus on my spiral technique right now. No, I'm just like, I'm just going to throw it. Yeah, you're just trying <laughs> to have fun. fun. So let's, uh, I'm going to go through these 10 steps real quick here. Okay. And then just like both books... I think it'd be cool if we talked about some examples of stuff that we've done. I wanted to ask you, actually. And see, see stuff like that. I wanted to take piano playing because you can play piano. Yes. And I wanted to, like, ask you Allegedly. how I would break this down. Okay. I know you can play piano. you just that's, being the most humble they say. again. <laughs> you can play that song from um, from Twilight Princess. Well, I, can, is, I can play the beginning. It is really complicated on the left hand, though. It is. It's very it's crazy. complicated. So, yes, you can play piano. So it's like, choose a lovable project. Focus mm-hmm. your energy on one skill at a time, just like literally like essentialism. Like everything says this. One thing at a time is going to be better for focused results quickly. It's yeah. about quick results. Because one thing at a time allows you to sink deep into the thing. Yeah. And know? sometimes the surface level practice, if I just go down and practice some some C scales, you know, 
I'm not going to get better really fast because I only had five minutes to practice scales, not to get deep into something challenging. Yeah. So, and the C scales, it's easy. So. Yeah, it's absurdly easy. And so then it's then it's define your target performance level. Okay. What are you trying to get to? Deconstruct it, which is, I think, where the examples will be most helpful because a lot of people have trouble deconstructing things. And I mean, I do too with mm-hmm. a new skill because you don't know the sections until you know it a little bit. Yeah. And then get the tools you need. Don't have an excuse where you're like, well, I would do this, but I keep renting this thing that's never available. Whoops. And eliminate barriers to practice, one being also that if you're renting a tool, it'd be better to have it access to it all the time. And make dedicated time. Create fast feedback loops. You need to know whether you're doing well or you can't improve quickly. Humans are super good at doing pretty much anything if we have feedback. Yeah. We're really good at adapting. That's like one of the reasons that school is useful because it's just like a huge feedback loop. Yeah, and I mean, they have, like, those biofeedback things where, like, you can see whether you're stressed or not or something. Check your your blood rate, and you should be able to bring it down simply Mm -hmm. with feedback. Like, we're really good at adapting to things. And then practice in short bursts, especially when it's, like, really frustrating and slow at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want to do 90 minutes a day, if you do three, four, five, 20-minute sessions, it might be less Mm -hmm. frustrating because if you're really terrible at it, 20 minutes feels like an eternity. Yeah. So 90 minutes is just horrible it's like until too you much. get until you get good enough for it to be fun. Part of what he talks about is the frustration barrier for that reason. Mm. Like you just feel really bad at stuff for a while. It's not that fun yet. Yeah. And then emphasize quantity and speed. And this was probably my favorite part of this list because he's got this anecdote that another author mentioned in the book Art and Fear. It's about a ceramics teacher. And so he graded half the class on the quantity of pots that they created by weight. And he graded the other half of the class on the quality of a single pot. That was all that was required of them, whole class. By the end of the class, all of the highest quality pots came from the high quantity graded people because they Mm. kept making stuff, making mistakes, getting feedback, and making more while everybody else sat and theorized, what is the perfect pot? Yeah. How can we make the best thing? And they never got good at it because it was all theory. You know, it's academic understanding. Mm -hmm. Like if you just learn music theory, it does not mean you can play an instrument. Yeah. Academic understanding helps. It can be very useful, but it is not the same thing as as acquiring a skill. I learned this again very recently. With what? So Anna and I have started figure skating for me again, for her the first time. And the highest difficulty jump that I learned before, back in 2016, was uh, what's called a waltz jump, which is literally just, it's half a rotation. It's 180 degrees. It's a forward takeoff, and then you land backwards. Okay. So I have never gotten to the point where I can do a full rotation jump. So I don't currently have a ca- uh, coach right now. I almost said couch. I do own a couch. Yeah. I don't have a, co- <laughs> have a coach. And... I don't really have the time to get one right now, but I want to learn one full rotation jump. So I spent like a good couple of hours studying first the six different types of jumps that are done. And then I isolated the Sal Cow as the one that I wanted to learn, which is one where you take off on the edge of your skate instead of a toe pick. And it's a backwards jump. So I watched slow-mo videos of skaters doing it over and over again. And then I slowed down YouTube videos to 0.25x speed to watch Olympic skaters do it. And I watched, like, novice skaters do it. 
And then I went out in the living room and I practiced the motions and I was like, okay, shoulder check here after a specific three turn on my foot. And I know exactly how to get it. And then I got onto the ice and I couldn't even get myself into a proper takeoff position. Yeah. <laughs> so all that time spent analyzing exactly how to do it, preparing my body for the exact motions. And I can't even come close to even taking off for the jump. Yeah. Well, so it really like is just repetition. That quote that's like, in theory, theory and practice are the same, but in practice, they're yep. not. Yep. And of course you can be good at something without understanding it because explain to me all the most detailed parts of English, your first language. <laughs> I bet you don't know how a lot of it works, yep. just as I don't. There are very specific adjective rules where you put them in the right order. Mm -hmm. Like, But we, we do it. You don't need to understand yeah. to still think, be able to do it. I think the big thing here is that we overestimate the ability of our conscious brain, our conscious mind to control our bodies. Yeah. We think that just because we can conceptualize a movement that we can actually tell our body to do it. And I think in reality, uh, a good 90% of your body's ability to do anything, especially things that are skilled, it comes from the unconscious mind and muscle memory, which is why you can picture some crazy, amazing art in your head, but you can't draw it. Yeah, because you if, can't if everybody make... could perfectly do that, then yeah. literally everyone would make the greatest music and the greatest art all the time because there would be no barrier. Yeah, I can I can come up with amazing sounding music in my head, but when I actually open the composing software... <laughs> you should hear this. It's I'm the like, best song I know, right? you've ever heard. <laughs> it's so I good. Swear to God. And then you open your composing software and you can't even write one instrument's worth of the composition that you thought of yeah. because your, your mind's eye can't zoom in on you know, one little detail because you haven't built the skill yet. You haven't built the conceptual skill and you haven't built the ability to actually execute it with your, your muscles in any way. Yeah. So that's why it takes all this repetition. And yeah, I love the, the pot story. Yeah, I that think it's great. really interesting that everybody that was trying so hard to make it good couldn't do it compared to the people that were just doing a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I want to take this list and I want to apply it to uh, piano playing. Okay. So th this is just one example skill for anybody listening. Hopefully you'll be able to glean the insights from this and apply it to whatever skill you're looking at. And perhaps we can find another skill to add in at the end that's kind of different or complimentary. But piano playing is something that I want to learn. Okay. I already know how to play guitar, but I don't really know how to play piano other than my, you know, very cursory understanding of music theory that I've been learning from this book. That's about it. I know what the keys are. Oh, that's enough. You can go play some Beethoven right now. <laughs> I know D's in the doghouse. I know that there is um, no B sharp and there's no E sharp. That's like what I know. Uh, but I can't play. See, I wouldn't even have been able. I would have to like picture the keyboard and think through it to tell you what keys like that don't exist. I don't know. Oh, because you haven't learned music theory. You just know I've, how to play. I've taken piano classes, but I never got that far. And yeah. I never got past like an elementary level of reading sheet music or anything like that. I just kind of play by ear lots of stuff. And I learned okay. the beginnings of a lot of really complicated songs. And then I quit because I'm like, well, I did the challenging part. <laughs> Isn't that the problem though? Kyle was telling me the same thing. Uh, for reference, our friend Kyle is a very good guitar player. And he was telling me a lot of times he'll want to learn the guitar solo from a song. So he'll learn it. And then he's like, well, now I'm bored. I don't want to learn the chorus and the bridge and everything. So yeah, he can't yeah. play any songs. He can just play the solos from many songs. Though he, he can play songs because he's very good. Yeah. But it's something that a lot of guitarists find themselves dealing with. 
Okay, so what was that so, first step? So again? let's get through here. Choose a lovable project. If you if you really want to play piano, yeah, then there it is, already done. Okay, so in my uh, in my case, I love music. I want to play piano, but the reason that the project is lovable to me is I do have an intended outcome, which is to play that specific song. Yeah, you're not picking just a random instrument and saying I'll learn that. Although if you were interested in that one, it would be perfectly fine. Yeah, but you you want to play piano, so that already works. Mm-hmm. Two. Focus your energy on one skill at a time. It'd be it'd be probably a good idea. You can still practice like guitar and all that, but if you wanted to get good at piano fast, you would want to be like there's a dedicated amount of time specifically to improve this skill. Everything yeah. else can be on maintenance mode, do it for fun as I feel like it, mm-hmm. but none of the other stuff is required right now. Yeah. That way, at the end of the day, if you're running out of time, you know what goes first. Yes. The piano comes first. Because as somebody recently pointed out to me in one episode, I said it's not a real priority if you wouldn't sacrifice something for it. This is exactly when that comes into play. Because if you're like, but I still want to play guitar right now, then you're not giving the attention to piano. Yeah. So establish that that is the priority. Okay. Three, define your target performance level. You want to play that song. Yep. So there it is. That's the target performance level. Four, deconstruct the skill into sub-skills. This is this is the tricky part. Yeah. So, so how do I do this? Let's see. You you play guitar right now. Yep. And that is good in that it still uses technical things mm-hmm. on both hands if you finger pick. If you're using a single pick, that means your right hand doesn't have the I single pick necessary stuff right now. So yep. the first skills you would want to learn are probably how to play a very basic C scale. It's literally just the white notes. Okay. With your left hand and your right hand separately. Not at the same time, because Mm. then playing a simple chord in time with something you're doing with the other hand is the next skill. Doing anything simultaneously, keeping it easy. Yeah, that's what's really difficult for me. That's that's a very difficult skill. So you start out with both hands, because like if I'm doing technical stuff, my right hand's much better. And that's part of why that Zelda song was very difficult, Mm -hmm. because the left hand has to do a lot of stuff, where usually it's just like more bass chords. So do you think for me, the left-hand stuff would actually be easier because I'm a guitarist? I think that at first, the left hand will likely be better at that because you're doing more technical finger movements. Okay. Eventually, it might just be a right-handed, left-handed thing. Yeah. But right now, if you're single picking with your right hand, it the fingers might not have the same dexterity. Yeah. So you'd want to learn scales with both hands. Then you'd want to learn how to do literally anything. Just play a single note over here in time with your right hand doing something complicated. Okay. Then learning to do more complicated things like playing the both of the scales simultaneously because they have different points mm-hmm. where the fingers switch. You would want to learn how each of the pedals work on the piano. So you've got the sustaining there's pedal sustain, is the right? one that I usually use. I don't honestly don't even remember what the other two do because I never wait, one staccato, damper, right? I think. What's staccato? Like I think it uh, keeps it from being too long of a note. I think it. Oh yeah, the date I'm not entirely sure because I never use the other two. Honestly, like I don't do the music theories as thoroughly. Yeah. So you don't want to practice that because you have to get your foot to time correctly uh, on the pedal. Okay. And understand when it sounds good and when you're just going to create a terrible mess of notes that blend together and yeah. and it doesn't work. You are also going to want to. I guess if I don't know this song, but. Learning to sing while playing is also a separate skill. Yeah. Like you have to be doing so many things at once. This is definitely not a vocal song. 
Okay. It's a okay. piece yeah, of music from a video game, it. so it's just very technical. Are you going to sing like a Vocaloid? Are you going to be like yes. Hatsune Miku? Well, I do need to learn how to do the Miku vocalizations. That's a very important – that's its own skill. You I need think to focus it is a on couple, that by itself. A couple octaves above my normal range and also yeah. sounds like a computer generated it, yeah. so I have a few skills to learn there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I would definitely – those would be the basic things, okay. I think. And then what you would want to do is probably – if you specifically wanted that song – I don't know how difficult it is, but yeah. you may tr- start to see, can you do simple, can you do little parts of it, little chunks? So if you've got the sheet music, can you play the first uh, yeah. measure? I think measure the, is a word. Yeah, see, I, I don't remember these things. The first like little section of notes and yeah. then the next one and then the next one and do it all separately with one hand and then try to do them with the other, etc. Like if it's that song. But if that song's way too hard, then you're going to want to find simpler things to start with. Yeah. So that's why... Most of my piano skill has been generated through just saying that sounds really cool in a, in like a video game or a different song or just a song I'm writing in my head. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's always slightly beyond my skill. Yeah. So it's like a little bit of a stretch goal. It's not, it's not too far. Mm-hmm. It's just, I can almost do this so much. I can almost do this. Yeah. That's the next step. So you'd probably want to find some songs that were just out of reach, but not terrible. And even if that means that you have to play Hot Cross Buns for the next 20 hours, you know, I hope that doesn't take you 20 hours. <laughs> hot Cross Buns should be about five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but you've got to find simpler stuff. So maybe go into like uh, play the Mario. Yes. One of the Mario songs, one of the simpler ones. And then you'd want to keep moving up until eventually you could at least do part of the big song. And okay. then you'd probably be able to move on to it. Yeah, and I think that is especially important because if you pick a sufficiently difficult song, I think you could get yourself to it eventually. Yeah. Like if you had, you know, unhuman motivation, you could listen to the Dragon Force guitar solo over and over and over again and eventually learn to play it. But if you are 99% of the population, you need intermediate goals. You need that. You need quick wins. Yes, they give you a quick win. They give you a sense of accomplishment because you can actually do something that is established. And again, it's about that feedback loop. If you can play a song that's like positive feedback, you can't just be getting nothing but negative feedback. Oh, still doesn't sound as good as the big song for like two years. Yeah, it still doesn't sound as good. You're never gonna make it sound as good. Yeah, it's just gonna be frustrating, and you'll probably give up because people don't like to be terrible at stuff for extended periods of time. Yeah, it's not fun. So those are some basic basic sub skills okay. you know there are probably more if if i knew the song but that's yeah. a basic starting point There's because like you're coming from guitar like and... you definitely would just want your hands to be able to work on pianos first and then simultaneously yeah that's the biggest hurdle so the next step number five was obtain critical tools so you're going to want either access to a keyboard just it can just be a little like a cheap electronic keyboard as long as it has as many octaves as you need mm-hmm because uh, pianos are expensive or you would yeah. want access to a piano room so i know at iowa state there were piano rooms where i would go and practice sometime you yep. want you want the access to it that's not going to be inconvenient because the next step is to eliminate the barriers to practice so yeah you want to have the 20 second rule in play if you can actually get a piano or keyboard in your home you need it to be out and available mm-hmm. you need to have quick access to any other places you know, if you if you have to book a piano room or something, you need to be booking a bunch of things ahead of time. Yeah. And say that I'm going to have this every day at this time. 
because if you do it at the last minute and then a day goes by and you're like, uh-oh, I guess I can't play piano today, it's easy for that to become a habit. You, you yeah. want to kill that barrier. There should be no scheduling barrier. You want to simplify the process if you're overcomplicating things. Don't expect too much of yourself in one go because that might scare you from doing your practice today if you keep saying, well, I was going to practice today, but I, I'm pretty sure it's an hour's worth of practice and I've only got like 10 minutes right now, right? Mm-hmm. I'll just waste several sections of 10 minutes throughout the day instead. That's that's dumb. You can do simple, small parts yeah, and not save it all for, oh God, it's 11 p.m., I want to go to bed, but I now have an hour of practice left, and I guess I'm going to go to bed late, start tomorrow off really badly because I wanted to have it in one chunk. You, yeah, exactly. you don't You don't need it that way. So, And then being okay with anxiety or embarrassment if that's required, if you have to play in front of people. Oh, um, yeah. And, and the thing is, actually, like from my, uh, uh, my – one of the most important things that my therapist was talking to me about because of the OCD – is that one of the most important steps with anxiety of any kind, really, is that you become okay with the fact that you can have anxiety. The anxiety doesn't actually damage you, and a lot of times it goes away by itself as long as you deal with it long enough for right. one thing. It's not it's not the thing to be feared. Yeah. So if you're really scared of getting up in front of people, just know that the anxiety itself may suck, but the getting up in front of people probably didn't hurt you in any way. Yeah, and if it's you not do it enough... You. You get used to it. The anxiety, even if it's still in the back of your head, you start going, well, yeah, I'm always anxious about it, but I do it anyway, so I guess I'll just do it anyway. Yep. It becomes a background noise rather than the center focus. This is one that I'm really keeping in mind because um, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go take my first voice lesson. Oh, yeah. And I am very anxious, even about the prospect of singing in a closed-off room with a vocal coach who I'm sure listens to people who are far worse at singing than I am, I'm still very anxious about it. It sounds anxiety-inducing, but the trick is definitely just to be like, uh, yeah, but I'll just deal with it. And obviously yep. that sucks. You know, I've had enough panic attacks. It's not fun. Yeah. But you can you can cope with small amounts of anxiety, and it'll get better with time. And, I mean, I, I think one thing that helps me is to realize that everybody who's ever done the thing you want to do – has probably dealt with some form of anxiety when they were at your level yeah, and probably do now. Actually, there was that old story about the actor Henry Fonda who was like super famous, you know, accolades upon accolades. And even in his 70s, he would throw up before going on stage when doing live performances. Yeah, so he just he was just like, this is a part of my life, unfortunately, but it, yep. that's not going to stop the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I still get anxiety every single time I film a video. Uh, well, when we changed the setup and had these new cameras, I felt pretty weird for the first few because I was like, obviously I've been on film for a while already. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but now it's different. But now there's like one that's it's solely like, it's on like you. It's like focused better. Uh-oh, what if I look dumb? Oh, yep. no. <laughs> I'll just look dumb all the time and that'll be what they expect and then it's okay. Yeah. Actually, that, that's the hack right there. That's what Ethan from H3H3 H3 got right. <laughs> just like, I'm just going to purposely look dumb all the time. Yeah, then you can't call him out for it. You know, he's <laughs> just like, well, yeah. There's actually this really good video. Uh, I don't remember which one it is. I would have to dig back into their channel, but it was like a Q&A video. And he was basically saying exactly that. He's like, one day, well, I guess to preface, he said he went through a lot of his life where he was ashamed of his appearance. He hated the way he looked. He was like, I'm overweight. I don't look good, blah, blah, blah. And then one day he just like looked in the mirror. and He's like, you know what? I'm just going to not care. Like, I just don't care. Sure. I don't, I'm not as skinny as I'd like to be. I don't look exactly the way I like to be. I don't care. And I'm going to go do anything I want. And I don't care what people think about me. 
you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he was a little more profane than that in I'm the actual sure. video. But it, it's still, like, it stuck with me. And it's very clear on, like, his Instagram and YouTube channel that he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. And it's often funny. And nobody cares with him. So. Yeah, everybody loves him. Yeah. So, yeah, so eliminate all your barriers. Um, seven is to make dedicated time for practice. If you can schedule time, mm-hmm. that's great. If you have to say, this is how much time I can give, but my days are hectic, so I'm not sure when I can give it, yep. that's okay. You know, is it 20 minutes a day or is it 20 minutes starting at 8 o'clock p.m. every day? Both are okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Just the point is you're committing mm-hmm. and you're saying, I will put time in this because it's easy to be busy all the time because we all somehow manage to fill 24 hours. Yeah. Every time, 100% of the time, we do manage to fill that time with something. Yep. So if you don't specify when you're going to do this or how much you should do this, you will always find something to be busy with. Yeah. Um, is there stakes on there or is that like is that kind of part of this last item? That is part of this basically. Okay. It is um, – let's see. I think it's more specified in the 4-Hour Chef That's right, yeah. checklist where you're like – yeah, so with the dedicated time, if you do want to set some stakes, so if it can be as simple as a checklist where mm-hmm. you pay attention, something like momentum or a calendar where you just see how many days in a row you've been doing it. Oh, no, I missed that day. So you're using the streaks principle. Yeah, uh, I like Habitica. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could be B-Minder if you want to be intense about it. Yeah. I'm going to bet $3 billion. There you go. I'm going to play piano every bankrupt. day for 20 minutes because then, well – Something's really wrong if you've managed to justify not playing piano for 20 minutes at that expense. <laughs> yep. Something's gone terribly wrong. If you are Bill Gates and you somehow have $3 billion, yeah. you don't want to lose yeah, it. it's just pocket change. Well, another way to do the stakes thing is to book lessons in advance. Yeah. Or, you know, book time with a coach. And that helps That's what I did with skating. Too, so. Like, I literally, I had to pay my coach in advance. She sold me, like, a punch card where it was, like, 10 half-an-hour sessions. And I paid for that in advance. It was a very expensive punch card. And then it's like, okay, well, if I'm not going to my sessions, I've literally just wasted my money. So yeah. there's this. You've already committed. Plus, she would text me and be like, are you coming today? Oh, yeah. Like interpersonal stakes yeah. where you don't want to like disappoint somebody. Mm-hmm. Those are really good stakes too. If yeah. you can get somebody who will be an accountability partner, who will actually hold your feet to the fire and won't just say, oh, that's so great that you're learning piano, then yeah, they can be a good person to tell about your goal and a good person to keep updated. Uh, though there is that whole principle about not telling everyone about your goal because you're just going to get congratulations about your intention, which makes yeah. you feel good. Yeah, you and don't want somebody who's just going to say, that's really cool. You want somebody who's invested in your success. Which And, and yeah. sometimes this means that maybe it isn't the friends you hang out with most of the time. Yep. If it's a coach or something, well, I doubt they're going to waste time congratulating you for wanting to get lessons. They're trying to teach you. That's yep. the point. Yeah, I have goals that I have not told people about. Yeah. I, so. I like to do, like, I don't try to talk about what I do until I'm actively doing it. You know, yep. it's a part of my life. It's no longer hypothetical. Then it's just me telling the truth rather than me trying to get credit for future success. Mm-hmm. You don't get that credit yet. Yeah. So what's the next one? So let's see. Number eight is creating the fast feedback loops. Okay. So for piano, one, uh, I hope that you can hear the notes. If you can't, you need to learn to hear the notes differently <laughs> so you can tell when you're wrong. And if not, maybe you should have – so there are oh, – what's that? Musician? Yeah. Musician, musician. was pretty yep. good. At, it would tell you when you messed up a note. 
Yeah. And it would show you that what, note, great. what note you messed up on. And and or you could do recordings and show them to a coach or mm-hmm. something or play in front of a teacher. You need something where you know when you played it wrong. If you can't tell the difference between the right hand part correct and incorrect, that then you need somebody else who does know the difference or a, an app that does. Yep. Because otherwise you will make no progress. You're just going to be like, well, I'm kind of hitting his buttons over here and yeah. some sounds are coming out. Sometime in the near future when I have the time to dedicate to it, I'll have a publishing schedule on the Thomas Frank Music Channel. Yeah. That that will be my feedback loop. And that also encourages me to embody that quantity of pots over quality of one pot principle. Yeah, I think that's a really strong anecdote really because mm-hmm. it feels so weird to put out. And that, that's like why I'm trying to do a photo a day uh, yeah. on my new Instagram because I want to – like I realize not all of them will be as cool as the best one. Yeah. That's not possible. The best one is always the best one, and by default, the rest are not as good. Yep. So I'm going to feel bad about 99% of the photos at some point probably. I don't know if you feel bad about them, but you will know if that I'm trying there's to compare one like my best work. I'll be like, exactly. that one's not my best. I could improve it. But that's good. That's but, a good thing. You know, The crucial thing here is that you never get yourself to the point where you can create that best one if you're not doing it this way. Yeah. You know, I think that... The video that I made on hydration is one of the best videos ever made. Uh, and then the flashcards one. But if like way back in 2014, I'd been sitting there trying to make the perfect video. I didn't even know about After Effects back then. Like I didn't even know about the where the place I get music. I wasn't even putting music in videos. You know, so my yeah. one amazing perfect video would have been so, so far beneath the quality of those two that I now see as my best that, you know, it wouldn't have even yeah, it wouldn't have been the fair. way that these have. You know, maybe the greatest sculptor in the world once was incredibly proud of their beautiful macaroni painting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. but I'm sure they may find that that is no longer even close to their best work. Exactly, yeah. So I will have a publishing schedule at some point. I just need to get to the point where I can produce songs quickly enough and I have the time. Yeah, see, and so basically, basically for that project... You do not have the time to focus your time and energy on one yep. skill at a time. You don't have it. Yeah. Which means that, yeah, starting that right now would probably just be frustrating, doomed to failure, or compromise other things that should be the focus. Yeah. So you you don't overload yourself. Yeah, I unfortunately cannot drop everything. No. Uh, I got a business to run, so. <laughs> yeah. So number nine is practice by the clock in short bursts. Basically mm-hmm. the when you're really frustrated that you cannot play this scale correctly over and over and you keep messing up the note, it'll be better for you to do it in like, I'm going to play for 10 minutes, then I'm going to go do something else that's mm-hmm. more relaxing because I'm going to be infuriated with my yeah. terrible hand dexterity and then come back and do another 10 minutes rather than rather than saying, I'm going to sit here for 40 minutes, give myself carpal tunnel and cry myself to sleep tonight because I still can't <laughs> manage to hit the first key in the yep. C scale. I don't know how I'm, man- I'm managing not to do that, <laughs> but I can't do it. Yeah, I keep I, okay, I'm aiming for the C key, and then I hit, hit the power button on the piano something every happens. time. Yeah, something goes wrong. I don't know why. And also the spaced repetition effect comes yes. into play here because when you're doing it in separate practice sessions, like there are tons of times where I have a skill lapse. Like I was a little I, – I felt rusty on my Spanish before I wanted to try out um, the ripe – app this this cool oh, yeah. subscription-based language tutory thing mm-hmm. it was actually really cool i just wanted to try it out see what it's like and i felt really rusty and i was like my spanish is going to be terrible because i haven't had conversations in like at least half a year i've been busy 
First day, terrible, like 65% skill level. Next day, back up to 80. Next day, like 95%. And it took three half-hour lessons to get there. Spaced repetition is very powerful, and sometimes you do need to sleep on it, and you will just come back magically better. Suddenly, you can hit the key, and you won't even know why. But if you had spent all day yesterday, so you spent all 24 hours doing it, you probably still would have just been really mad at the end of the day failing the key. But if you did it for like a half hour, woke up today, I bet you can hit the key. It's yep. it's better. Man, so, I missed that power button. Yeah. I'm not going to hit it today. No, not today. <laughs> not today. You got to put something over it so that it directs your hand. Well, it's kind of crazy because we started skating again. And the first couple of times on the ice, I felt a little bit less confident than where I was in 2016. Yeah. But the third time... Uh, I went back and did some waltz jumps and I had greater power in the takeoff and greater fluidity in the landing, just like better overall waltz jumps than I had ever done in 2016 and three sessions of like half an hour each. Just comes back. And with piano, that Zelda song, I could never play it. That hard part, I could never do it before. Ironically, I injure the nerves in my hand for like two years plus, couldn't play piano at all, Mm -hmm. come back and now I can play that. I yeah. can I can play better than I ever have after having thought I could never play again. Like spaced repetition is very powerful. Yep. It it confusingly so. I don't even really understand how I can do that. But it works. Yeah. And that's a good example of, you know, the fact that if you even if you think you can never do something again, you're often wrong. Yeah. Like I didn't I didn't think that would happen. I was way wrong. I play better than I did before. Mm-hmm. Who knew? And the last step here, step number ten is to emphasize quantity and speed. So the you need to make a lot of pots before you have a good one. So another good justification for the publishing schedule. Yeah. So at some yeah. point I'll have that. Because uh, I've always, um, I've really admired this guy on YouTube. His name is Andrew Wong. And he is not only like a really prolific YouTuber, like he does like two videos a week. But if you go on a Spotify, he has a ton of albums. Yeah. Like a ton, yeah. And there's a lot of really good stuff in there. And he's 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 a multi-instrumentalist for one and vocalist and it can play in a ton of different genres as well. So, he is like my example for somebody who just puts in the work, makes songs quickly and gains a ton of skill. And I don't know, maybe none of his albums have gone platinum, but he's certainly been able to build an audience of 1.3 million subscribers on YouTube, a fairly big audience of people listening to his music. And now I'm sure he's at a point where if he really wanted to, he could be like, all right, I'm going to take six months to make my masterpiece. Yeah. Because he's now built up all those skills. Yeah, especially if he's switching between genres. There's probably a lot of creative overlap. Yeah, he's got all that that experience in all those genres, and he can play all those instruments. He could do it all himself if he wanted to, which is pretty amazing. And that's that's kind of like where I aspire to be in music. I don't just want to play piano. Like I want to be able to play piano and drum and guitar and sing yeah. And, you know, maybe other things. Uh, I'll work my way up to the tambourine. It's a little bit... That's fair. ...difficult now. Let me know if you need any shakuhachi. You can do that. I'll get that in there. Oh, we could do some shakuhachi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I'll get, I'll get some uh, featuring Martin Bamey on my music channel soon. Okay. It'll be pretty cool. But, yeah, uh, I have more podcast episodes to do for my other show. So That's true. So is there anything else that you wanted to wrap this episode up with? Uh, well, I would think... That, that that actually covers it. You know, cool. I think those steps are solid steps. The the quantity point and the point of academic study not being the same as skill acquisition, I think, are the biggest 
yeah. things and then deconstruct the skill you want. Mm-hmm. Be- you don't you don't start by saying I'm going to make a masterpiece. First you yeah. learn how to do the small piece of the masterpiece. You you have mm-hmm. no idea how to even envision the biggest stuff until you learn the small things. Mm-hmm. I don't think we mentioned this. Um if you don't know how to deconstruct the skill, go talk to somebody who's really good at it or go get like a dummies book. Yeah, if there's you a know? book with even even just the chapter titles probably break stuff up a little bit or yeah. take some sort of like Skillshare course. Mhm. Or like in the case of guitar and piano, Musician is a very good way to do this. I did like Musician. I was actually trying to relearn how to read sheet music, and it was working really quickly. But then I got busy and was like, "This isn't a priority." Mm-hmm. But it was working really well. Yeah, and I will actually. You know what? I should probably use Musician for piano you, when that it becomes takes a priority. MIDI input too. So if you can plug a MIDI controller keyboard into okay. your computer, it will exactly take the notes oh, rather cool. than hoping the microphone picks it up cor- correctly. I had looked that up and I think it was like, Musician is designed for microphone input rather than MIDI, but there is a way to do MIDI and that seemed really complicated. Yeah, if you do but the desktop do version, it. It, it works. Okay. Like cool. it, it won't do MIDI on your phone. You can't plug it in anywhere, but. And then beyond Musician, I've been using uh, Synthesia, which it it's very similar to Musician actually. It's literally just the notes coming down, like in Guitar Hero, but you play them on your piano. It's not using, like, real sheet music, though. It's not using the staff. It's you using, can it's turn on keys. sheet music as oh, okay. well. I haven't done that yet because I've just played with it. But, yeah, there is a free version. You can upgrade to a paid version. I don't think it's that expensive, and that gets you more songs and more features. Right now I just have, like, I don't know, 50 songs that I can play. So I've just been, like, practicing green sleeves on the right hand and the left hand and being horrible at it yeah uh i do want to turn on the sheet music version of, at some point so i can oh yeah that's start another learning. skill also yeah being i didn't able think to about that because look at i didn't note. start that way yep yeah looking at a note on a staff and translating that to a key is very different than just watching a note come down and being like oh that's uh let's see okay cool yeah and then i hit the power button dang it every time every single time <laughs> all right guys uh, so I think that'll about do it for this episode. I'm going to roll into some List of Money Matters recording. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go over to CIGpodcast.com slash 210. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, as always, you'll find that link in the description down below. We're going to have links to The 4-Hour Chef, The First 20 Hours. Um, my music channel will be on there. Love Martin's Instagram on there. I know we mentioned that at one point. And then I did make a video about this topic as well, which is a bit more, or not comprehensive, a bit more condensed. Uh, Doesn't talk about 4-Hour Chef, but has some first 20-hour stuff in there. So if you want the article video version of this podcast, because this is, I guess this is like the discussion version of it, uh, we'll have that linked up as well. So thanks for listening. As always, you can find our favorite tools, apps, resources, and gear for improving your life as a student over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week's episode. Stay cute.